The Athletic. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carol. Come on, Jordan. Love it. So a two-nil defeat in the derby, a fourth straight home loss, and the one player that we've all looked to during these testing times, Jordan Henderson, is now added to the injury list. Can it get any worse? Barely believable. But what direction do Liverpool take now? in the short and long term. And where's Virgil van Dijk at with his rehab? All that's on the cards. On the red agenda, James Pearce, Simon Hughes and Kiever O'Neill joining myself, Steve Hoversaw. The Champions League is back though and there's no better time to sign up for our unrivaled coverage at The Athletic. Until the 25th of February, we're offering new subscribers a half-price annual subscription. That's less than £1 a week for an entire year. To redeem that limited-time-only offer, go to theathletic.com slash liverpoolpod, theathletic.com slash liverpoolpod, and if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. So, Derby defeat, maybe not entirely unexpected, James, given the side's recent form, but you were there. How, how far short did Liverpool fall against Everton? Uh, I'm, I, again, it had a lot in keeping with performances in this calendar year in terms of, I, I don't think it was a disastrous performance. I didn't think you couldn't, I don't think you could fault the attitude or the effort of the players. It, it, it just, it just wasn't good enough. It was just, I don't know, I think it just lacked dynamism. It lacked like real direction and purpose in terms of, you know, I, I know, you know Jurgen Klopp afterwards, and I know managers always try and, talk up things and, and try and be positive but his assessment just didn't ring true with what I felt I'd witnessed with my own eyes that you know this talk it's not domination when you're knocking the ball sideways and sideways and sideways and it's not you know he, he said we created more than enough chances to win the game well I think there was three decent chances you know it was it, it was just a disastrous night for Liverpool and then you know, there's been so many setbacks in quick succession like you said it, it, it's not a particular shock but this one I felt cut deeper than all the rest because it was Everton because it had been 22 years you know to, to think that this is a team that had gone 68 home league games unbeaten and has now lost four in a row at home and you have to go back to 1923 for the for the only time that's ever happened in Liverpool's history is quite frankly ridiculous and it just shows how far Liverpool have fallen in a in a very short space of time I don't think we want to spend the whole pod talking about just the Everton game so I think we are going to talk sort of en masse about how they get out of this and you know Liverpool's form but let's get a thought from all of you on the performance so Sai for yourself was it a surprise or not no not at all I I, um, I thought it was uh I could sort of see it coming in, in, in some ways. I mean, I think a lot of things helped Everton. I think I think the lack of the crowd. I mean, I know I'm repeating myself about the crowd, but I do think the crowd makes a big contribution in derbies. I think James touched on it there in terms of, you know, the passing sideways. If a crowd was there, it just it just wouldn't be accepted. You know, they'd, they'd be urging the players to, to get on the front foot and get forward and... I think that would have an impact on the flow of the game. I mean, it's it's, it's a, you know, we're just repeating ourselves week after week, aren't we? But it, football has, you know, the dynamic of football and what's going on around football has changed in, in the pandemic. It's not making excuses for Liverpool, but Liverpool is a team that's sort of fed off the positivity around Anfield and understandably, you know, given the, given the, the results they've had at home. So 
they've they've really found it hard going with that. But you, you mentioned there sort of how how they sort of uh, move on from this and, and try and get on the front foot again. I think it's going to be really difficult for them. I do think Jurgen Klopp's got a, quite a lot to think about. I don't think it's it's possible to maybe play the style of football that he's become accustomed with in this time. You know, given the number of games that they've got and had, given the number of injuries. Uh, that you've got, given the lack of crowd, which feeds off that sort of energy created by players hunting down the opponents. So I think he he might have to think again a little bit about about how Liverpool break teams down and and get points on the board because it, clearly something's not working. It's it, it's the same. It's been the same pretty much every home game really. Liverpool dominating possession. Liverpool passing it sideways. Liverpool creating a few half chances, but that doesn't really mean that you deserve to win the game. And I, I thought Everton were comfortable, largely, you know, that they, they, they managed the game well, uh, deserved to win. Really, really disappointing performance, but but not altogether that surprising, given that we've seen it over the last month. I think with a lot of games, Kiva, you, you can pick out some positives. I, I was struggling after that one to find many. You promised me before we started the pod, you said we'll be positive. What, what positivity could you have found? from that defeat. Might have to make some apologies here because I don't think there is any, is there? Um, <laughs> was there nothing? I don't know. I just watched the, the couple of minutes highlights back because honestly, I haven't watched it since it happened just because it's not one of them you necessarily want to watch ever again, is it? Um, just painful to watch, really, I think, even though Liverpool controlled a lot of the ball, but they didn't control the game. Everton controlled that. I don't know. It was just a nonchalant start, wasn't it? I think, like Simon mentioned there, Liverpool's biggest factor of motivation, I think, especially at Anfield, is the fans. That gets them going for the game, doesn't it? Gets them motivated in those opening minutes, which can be so crucial in setting the tone for how, you know, the first 20 minutes, how the first half, indeed, how the whole game sort of pans out. And um, obviously, without that crowd there, Everton just really excelled, didn't they? Liverpool, there was a few headers, people not really wanting to win the ball back properly. Everton just looked more aggressive from the off in terms of getting that, you know, initial sort of first chance and obviously, you know, what a pass it was and what a goal. So that's where the fans then get behind the players and say, oh, come on, lads, it's not a great start, but, you know, we're behind you no matter what here. We can't just say, oh, there's no fans, that's why it's performances as well. And it was a good performance, but it wasn't because, you know, they they didn't score those goals and they didn't win the game. So you can't really look back on on anything massive you know if, if that Henderson shot goes in or you know Salah's at the other end in the the second half then you know we could be talking about a different outcome but obviously Jordan Pickford was was outstanding wasn't he and I think the more positives are just Everton players aren't they which is you know Michael Keane at the back I thought he was brilliant um but this is an, an Everton podcast so you know, it is a difficult time for Liverpool, but just one they've got to put behind them now. I mean, you don't want to become that team that just, you know, especially, you know, they're still up there. And I think, you know, top four is well within the reach, maybe that fourth spot just about because, you know, we know Chelsea, West Ham are there at the minute, but they've got tough games. Chelsea play Man United next, West Ham play Man City, Liverpool play Sheffield United, who, you know, look like they're going to be relegated. So, they have to win that game now. They have to just start showing that the balls he's shown, the character that won them the title last season. Yet yeah, they've had injuries and everything else, but they've just got to put that to the back of the mind now and just play football again and just stop worrying a bit. I don't know. They look a bit like they just sort of lost that spark in them that they, they believe that they're going to win games. And 
I thought our Everton piece on the Athletic was good. You know, one of the things Carlo Ancelotti said, which you think every manager's going to say before a game, is you're going to win this game. And, you know, you, you wonder if that's what the message is at Liverpool at the minute, because it needs to be. That's, you know, Liverpool need to think that they're going to win every game. And we know they can put a run together, and I feel like they, they will be able to do that. Um, there's still a lot of positives for the season, you know, that in in command of that that Champions League tie, aren't they, as well? And, you know, um, things look a little bit dark, but I don't know, there, there is a little bit of light there as well, I think. Right, so, so Kiva confident that a run can be put together. That would mean that goals will have to be scored. And one of the biggest problems, James, is goals. Um, you've looked online, well, the piece you've written online about Roberto Firmino and perhaps the glaring lack of form that he's been suffering this campaign. But I think it's absolutely mind-boggling when you look at Liverpool's front three and and think of the problems that they're going through to actually score at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't quite believe it when I was adding it up on late on Saturday night. 528 minutes of football at Anfield since Liverpool last scored from open play. You know, that's that's nine hours. You know, it's, it's bleak and... You know, and it's, you know, it's not to pick on Roberto Firmino because you know when you write a piece about a particular player, you you know inevitably get accused of oh you know you're trying to scapegoat someone. It's it's not that at all. It's a you know the, Liverpool's issues are, are a collective you know malaise at the moment, which you know and a catastrophic run of injuries is a massive massive factor in that. Of course it is because it's not just the loss of the defenders; it's the impact you know on the whole balance and structure of the team. But in saying that. You know, I think you have to take a step back and admit that Firmino's form has been a, a real worry for, for quite some time now in terms of his output. And yes, there's been moments of absolute brilliance in between. You know, probably you know the best example recently was that assist for Mo Salah at Leicester. You know, the, the goals home and away to Tottenham. You know, you think about how influential he was in that thrashing of, of Palace a few months back. But, you know, it hasn't been sustained. It, and the argument with Firmino has always been... You can't just judge him on goals. You know, he's this unique centre forward who this skill set where he's so selfless, he creates space and chances for others. You know, he's the engine of the team, as Klopp calls him. But I just think his all round game has really fallen away. And I and I think I think fatigue is a big part of that. You know, he's played something like two hundred and eighty games across five and a half years with Liverpool. He's you know, he's barely missed a game, ridiculously robust. You you throw into the mix all the international commitments he's had and the, the major tournaments and how little rest he's had. And it's no great surprise. You know, he's, he's, he'd be 30 later on this year. And I'm not saying, you know, that he needs to be shown the door, but I think that is a glaring weakness in the squad that has to be addressed this summer. They have to go and sign a number nine. And again, you know, not necessarily to replace Firmino, but just to be able to rotate him more often. And I know they've got Jota to come back in the next few weeks and that will make a big difference. But Jota's not a... He's not a conventional number nine. You know, he doesn't burst in behind defenders. Um, you know, he's not a poacher. He's not a prolific goal scorer, despite you know the great run he was on earlier on this season. So, Firmino, for me, it is is a major issue for Klopp. Is he also suffering side because? Well, for me, it it doesn't feel like Jurgen's actually tried to shake anything up tactically. He's persisted with what's worked in the past, persisting to the point that. They're doing the same things and expecting a, a sudden change. Is he a bit of a victim of that as well? Possibly a touch of it, yeah. But as James says, there has been a, a tail-off, you know, a gradual sort of tail-off in his statistical output in terms of what matters at the top end of the pitch, what's relevant to, to the role that he's he's playing. 
over the last uh, two or three seasons, really. And I, I just feel, I mean, I've said it before, but part of the problem is at the moment, he can't seem to trap the ball. <laughs> I think some of his running stats at the moment relate to the amount of time he's chasing after his own bad first touch, to be honest, because he, you know, he, he can't seem to get hold of the ball. And I think that's a problem for Liverpool because obviously to get players up the pitch and press, you need somebody to lead the way. And, you know, that that, that number nine position is so important for the, for the role of that team. And he just, for me, hasn't... Hasn't affected it in the in in the same way, but yeah, I, you know, it's this is part of the thing with with Liverpool. It's such a the team is is such a carefully sort of designed machine, and when it works well, it's it's so great to watch, you know, because you know it's 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 built upon you know consistency more or less. And I, I, know, I know I know the midfield changed quite a lot throughout the course of the last two seasons from game to game. But by and large, the defence, the full-backs and the forward line, and obviously the goalkeeper, is the same team. Now, this season, obviously, because of the injuries, the, the team hasn't been able to have that level of consistency in terms of selection, which I think has affected, obviously, the the, the actual function, you know, functionality of the team in, in a lot of ways because that, that, that sort of sense of consistency has been taken away. Simultaneously, you know, the players are you know, getting older. That's not to say the finish, but they've been playing this style of football for for three, four seasons now. Wait, is that not the point, side? The the ideals of the change team haven't changed at all, despite the personnel of the of the team changing. And is Jurgen the sort of coach that would be very reluctant to move away from that? I think so, yeah. I mean it, I, I do have some sympathy, you know, with, with certain things have been taken out of his control in terms of the number of injuries. Now you could say is the injury prevention working as well as it should? Are the players being pushed too hard in training? Is this causing the the muscle injuries and, and, and everything else? But obviously the two of the bigger injuries that they've had this season relate to, you know, tackles being put on players, which we could not gonna go on about again. But that that's obviously had a big impact on the season. I think not having having Virgil van Dijk Whatever way you try and dress it up, whether you're, you're defending Jordan Pickford or you're being critical of Jordan Pickford, it's had a massive impact on Liverpool's season because he's not just a defender, he's the starter of all the, you know, start of so many attacks for Liverpool and, and varies the play. He's been, you know, an, an enormous miss, a crucial miss. But when you're missing so many players and you're not able to sort of do what you've done in the past, successfully and equally you know let, let's be fair some teams I think are able to have, have, have over, over time not being able to necessarily figure Liverpool out but being able to negate what Liverpool do so it's a combination of all these all these factors thrown in with the again you know the lack of fans inside the stadium which which Liverpool's players thrive upon which which all you know it, it tallies so well with the the style of football that Jurgen Klopp's executes over the last few seasons so it's 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 a massive frustration. There's a lot to sort out. I think there's a there's a lot a lot of big decisions to be made over the next couple of weeks and months and going into next year because I think Jurgen Klopp's going to have to decide you know which players he possibly has to try and move on at 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 some point. The players aren't getting any younger. I think that process has already started to some extent. Obviously, we've seen Jota come in, Curtis Jones is sort of rise into the team, but it's 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 going to be you know a big challenge to keep Liverpool at the top. I always thought that that would be the case. I think they've had in some way they've had some rotten luck. They've had oh sorry, should I say they've had a lot of rotten luck when it comes to injuries. But that has also coincided with a lot of things that maybe they, they could have done a bit differently. Let's not forget, you know, Jurgen Klopp's never been in this position before, really, where he's 
uh, whenever he's won leagues with Borussia Dortmund or had achievements, they, they've basically had matters taken out of their hands by players leaving to well bigger clubs, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and so on. That hasn't happened this time. So he's on uncharted territory, really, and learning, learning again about how to develop a team in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, let's not forget that as well. It's just, it, there's a lot to consider. And uh, some, as I say, I think some... Some big decisions to be made over the next uh, over the next six months. You're with the Red Agenda. Thanks for listening uh, to this Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Steve Hothersall, James Pearce, Simon Hughes, Kiva O'Neill uh, on the show. Kiva, the, the recent awful form, and it has, has been awful, hasn't it? Do, do you think it's pushed ahead almost the, the evolution plans for Liverpool? It's something that Simon was just referring to at the back end there. There's obviously a constant thought on where you go next, but are things coming quicker now? Is it, does there need to be a, a redesign, a, a, you know, an evolution of that side? I think you saw that in January, didn't you, with you know Liverpool not wanting to bring anyone in and then they were kind of forced into it. So this poor form is forced in the hands and obviously all the injuries are definitely you know making them make signings like they did Ben Davis, Ozan Kabak. So you feel that maybe now look on an attack like Simon mentioned there, Firmino, you know, Joss has already come in. Will he already be looking now for someone like, you don't know, Harvey Barnes has been on the radar in the past, hasn't he? Been mentioned and players like that. He's had a, a really good season. You, you don't know, like, obviously Liverpool are always working anyway behind the scenes. We know Michael Edwards has, you know, probably sat somewhere now just, uh, you know, looking at, at data and different things and, and, you know, planning Liverpool's next move. And you, obviously fans really want to know that that's happening. And, and it probably is, you think. Um, I think when teams aren't playing well on the pitch, you kind of think off the pitch, people are always working that little bit harder, aren't they, to make things better. Um, but I do think, you know, if Liverpool were were winning now and they were top of the league. Um, obviously, they, they went into the new year and obviously over Christmas it just started to, to fall apart after that. But if Liverpool are in that strong position now, then people are asking for them to, to strengthen up anyway because that's what you do. And a lot of people have questioned why Liverpool probably didn't do that enough in the summer. I think, they, you know, they did they did make signings. Everyone wanted Thiago. Liverpool brought him in, brought Jotter in like the same night pretty much. Um Obviously, Simicast come in because Liverpool were short at left back, and then the one thing that sort of cost them was not bringing in that that other centre half after letting Lovren go, and then obviously that's that's come to cost them. But I mean, you know, who could have foreseen that Liverpool were going to lose every centre half on the planet um, in that time? So yeah, I think you know Liverpool already be working behind the scenes. Um, you know, focusing on, on the future, but on the pitch and what Jürgen and his team will be doing, they'll just be focusing on the next game. It's at Sheffield United. They've just got to get wins on the board now and make sure. I mean, there will be a little bit of pressure from above. You think that they have to get into that top four because obviously, you know, we know the sort of financial ramifications and and just the players won't, who will want to come if Liverpool aren't playing Champions League football. I mean, you'd imagine anyone would because of the potential then if Liverpool aren't playing even in Europe next season that they'll have a, a good run on the league but people want more than that the players want more than that now It does change everything doesn't it J James in your piece you sort of allude to the fact that maybe some big calls are going to be made on high profile players over the course of the, of the next year is that how you feel is that necessary for this team to evolve? Yeah 100% I think um, and kind of going back to what I said before about 
Firmino, part, part of the issue at the moment is is the lack of quality backup because you know it's it's sad to see really Divock Origi's Liverpool career just petering out so so tamely because you know I, I think the only reason Firmino stayed on the pitch for so long on Saturday was because there wasn't you know Klopp looked to that bench and you think and that's part of the problem at the moment is who on that bench on Saturday night actually had a genuine grievance that they weren't picked or even didn't get brought on. I think you look at it and you go, well, Oxay chamberlain what, what has he done recently? You know, what, he's got absolutely no right to complain that he's not getting not getting more game time. Origi, you know, when was the last time that Divock Origi came on and actually positively impacted a game? And, you know, and you, and you, you, could, you could go through that, that bench. And I know, obviously, injuries have, have played a, a massive part. But, um, yeah, there's some, there's some huge decisions to make this summer. Surely, and I think I think Origi will go, and then you look at you know question marks obviously over Shakiri, over Oxlade Chamberlain. You know you, you've got the players coming back from loans that you need to try and offload. You know people like Harry Wilson and Marco Gruich and Ojo and Carius, and obviously Woodburn who came back recently. And the concern for me is you know we know that generating you know decent fees from outgoings has been so key to what Liverpool have then been able to do themselves in the transfer market. But I don't really see them being able to generate a really substantial amount of money from sales this summer. I mean, they they expected to get you know fifteen twenty million a piece for either Wilson and and Gruich last summer. Those kind of offers weren't forthcoming, so they loaned them out again. And that's why the next few months are so so big because miss out on the Champions League and the the financial implications of that you know, that hurts the transfer kitty as well. So it's all well and good saying Liverpool need a rebuild, Liverpool need freshening up. Well. They won't have either the you know the money or the Champions League football to lure players if if they don't sort themselves out and get out of this horrendous run they're in the moment of I think it's nine points out of the last thirty three you know they're going to have to replace Wijnaldum you know barring an absolute you know massive U turn you know he'll he'll leave that that's you know that's a real void that will need to be filled in midfield obviously the centre back situation you know will they firm up the loan with Kabak you know they got the option obviously to buy him. You know, there's there's a big decision to be made there in terms of you've got three centre backs all coming back from season-ending injuries. You know how you know, how realistic is it that that Van Dijk is and Gomez and Matip are gonna you know be ready to ready to go and really hit the ground running next season? And then getting a number nine in and replacing Origi with a much higher caliber striker for me is absolutely crucial as well. Just talk a bit more on that cash aspect and maybe Simon will follow on off the back of it. But but James, it feels like Liverpool have lost this huge 12 months as a club that they needed to cash in on being the champions. I mean, it's something they'll never get back. All sorts of commercial aspects just got a line through them now. And you would presume that there might be a direct knock-on effect as to what happens with the squad because they haven't brought that money in as well. Yeah, I, th- I think I think Simon wrote about it not long ago in a in a column about how you know and and it it makes perfect sense in terms of it was actually a terrible time for Liverpool to become champions in terms of they've you know not only did they miss out on the the emotion and the joy and that connection of what should have been such a an amazing achievement, but the the financial implications too of. You know, you know, not only the what is it, ninety odd million a year in match day revenue, but you think how much they would have suffered commercially and in terms of sponsorship. They, they just weren't able to cash in on what should have been, you know, a massively, massively lucrative 
achievement. And then for that to then be followed by missing out on the Champions League at a time when fans are going to hopefully be back inside stadiums at the start of next season, you know, would would be an absolute body blow. And it's it's even bigger for a club like Liverpool that despite their size and their stature around the world, the way they're run, you know, it's it's not the case that FSG are going to go, you know, there's 70 or 80 million to plug the gap. From from the day they walked in, their stance was always this club has to live within its means, it has to balance the books, and that remains the case. So I, th- I think you mentioned a few weeks ago a figure of around £125 million that the club had lost. Is, it, is the reality that it's probably even far more than that if you take into the aspect of not cashing in on being champions? And how does it affect any potential signings? Yeah, that, that doesn't take into consideration potential lost earnings. That's, that's a figure, you know, through gate receipts and, and various other things. Um, so you take into consideration the deal that they had with Nike, which was based upon, you know, the potential sales. You know, I find it hard to believe that that, that has been as successful as they would have wanted it to be. Obviously, in the middle of a pandemic, people aren't out and about buying shirts. People aren't attending games, wanting to wear shirts. So that's that 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 that's just a little example of of where things have, have gone wrong for Liverpool. So yeah, it's 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 hugely concerning, really. I mean, uh, I, I would say I think the owners have got a lot to think about because you know Liverpool could come out the other side of this pandemic if if things were to carry on in the direction that they are at the moment, sort of almost back to square one in terms of a sporting perspective uh, off the pitch you would say obviously the the situation around Anfield has been solved by the building of the main stand I know that was obviously four or five years ago now but that that was a, a big move obviously they're still trying to get the Anfield road done as well uh, there's the training grounds which which has been built so that there's certain infrastructural things that that have been done off the pitch but on the pitch, there's there's a real conundrum there because I've said before that you know that they they exist in a real financial world. It's not the fantasy land that other clubs allegedly <laughs> operate in. Uh, it's all built upon profit and loss. Now you can be critical of that. I can understand why some fans would be critical of that. I think sometimes, you know, they have they have been too cautious. It, it is still a football club. Football clubs are different to other businesses where, you know, at the moment, most of the businesses in the world, I don't think I'd be amazed if there's any business in the world that hasn't, other than supermarkets maybe, that have been making the sort of profits that they were making before. And it's led to most places sort of putting up the barricades and hoping to come out the other side in the same position. Now, that sort of feels the way it's been at Liverpool, really. And I'm afraid, you know, Liverpool remains a football club. There's still thing, they're still playing football matches. There's still competitions to be won, and that's why I, I do feel, you know, the, you know, they've made a mistake in the January transfer window. I think that obviously at the start of January, Liverpool were doing okay, but the form had dropped off. Concerns around the defence. I think the fact that they went out and signed somebody so late in the January transfer window. I know obviously some players got injured. But there was always the chance that that would happen with the players who did get injured. Joel Matter, for example,'s injury record has been really poor, really, since uh, for the last couple of seasons. So that was an admittance of a mistake, really, for me, rather than a show of strength. I know a lot of people got excited about it on social media on the the day when they signed Kabak, but it was it was a sign, really, that they were on the back foot. So, so yeah, I just think that fundamentally, it's a football club, and from time to time. 
you know, it's it's worth remembering that it's not, you know, sometimes you do have to speculate to accumulate. I I, I did an article in the middle of uh, January about this that, that ultimately, you know, if Liverpool weren't to get in the Champions League, that the, the cost of that would be far greater than the cost of going out and defend, getting a defender, maybe spending a little bit more money than they, they would want to. So, yeah, it's 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 a really difficult position. And the Champions, and I, I, I do feel that, yes, the pandemic's made a had a massive, massive effect on on Liverpool. Um, I do have sympathy in that in that sense. You know that the, it, it's if you're a responsible football club owner, it couldn't have been easy running a football club through this period. Not many football clubs have gone out and spent huge money, apart from, of course, Manchester City spent sixty million pounds or whatever it was on Ruben Diaz, and he's turned out to be a fantastic buy for them. Liverpool aren't it in that realm unfortunately it's just not the way it is if fans feel that, that they want a separate ownership who go and do that sort of thing well it's sort of you go and sort of down the route of becoming just like Manchester City or, or Chelsea and that seems to be the sort of thing that a lot of fans simultaneously don't want to be as well so I don't know but do you think there's a, a lot of fingers being pointed at FSU and you can't judge it all on social media but there seems to be an awful lot of that doesn't there well it always has been I mean I, I think I think if you're a football club owner you're never going to get a pat on the back anywhere, <laughs> particularly if you run Liverpool, I think. I mean, I've never known a football stadium when football stadiums are full to sing about an owner other than maybe Jack Walker <laughs> at Blackburn for understandable reasons. You know, he, he obviously put his own money into that football club and it proved unsustainable, really. You know, ultimately, I know everybody sort of looks back at that period and says, what a great you know time it was for Blackburn, but he was pumping millions and millions of pounds of his own money and it just wasn't sustainable, a club the size of Blackburn. And then within a few years, they were in the old first division or the championship. So... You don't go into football ownership if you want a pat on the back, but I do think there's some sort of middle ground in the conversation to be had with FSG. I think they have been responsible owners in the sense that they've Liverpool off the pitch in terms of the, the infrastructure, the training ground, the the stadium is, is a lot, lot better than it was 10 years ago. I think they have contributed towards the the environments that Jurgen Klopp's been able to thrive in, but I do wonder you know, whether they have made some of the right decisions. I always, I, in, in the... In the aftermath of success, you, you can go back. I don't want to be revisionist and because I, I didn't write about it at the time and perhaps I should have done. But, you know, like you think back to that summer of 2019 when they won the Champions League, you know, was do you build from a position of strength at that, at that point? I mean, you would argue that, you know, the historians amongst the Liverpool fan base say that that, that is what Liverpool always, always did. Uh, you know, you, you buy from a position of strength. They went and bought... Seth Vandenberg and Adrian that, that summer. But, you know, Jürgen Klopp, as far as I'm aware, was on board with that idea. He felt at that time that that was the right thing to do. And they, they then went and won the league. But then that goes back again to Jürgen Klopp. I'm not saying he's an inexperienced manager, clearly not, but he's never been in this position before where ultimately there's quite difficult decisions to be made where you're actually con- more in control of players' destiny than than the player is. Players wanted to stay at Liverpool and see this through. There weren't those big offers from other clubs to come and take them away like there was at Borussia Dortmund. So I, I think, you know, you can look at the ownership, you can look at the management and, and say, well, maybe they could have acted differently at various times. I, I, do, I do feel as well some of the conversation around it at the moment is, is like the league title never happens because of the the circumstance of the pandemic. People weren't able to celebrate it in the same way, that, that sort of feeling of, of achievement and historical significance 
for me anyway, it was taken away by what's happened around us. I mean, nobody, nobody can, you can't blame anybody for that if, if, if they do feel that way. And I, I do feel that contributes towards the the feeling at the moment, the lack of patience and understanding and sometimes balancing the conversation. But that said, you know, the, they're owners of a football club, they're, they're going to get criticism. You know, it's, it's up to them to weed out the sort of the sensible criticism from the, some of the more irrational arguments that I had. This is your Liverpool dedicated podcast, The Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersall, James Pearce, Simon Hughes, Kiva O'Neill uh, on it. We're going to talk defenders in this uh, this final segment. We'll get on to Ozan Kabak in detail in just a moment. Let's do the 18 centre-half partnerships quiz, first of all. Right, so... Um, you could do three each, and let's make sure we've got them all covered off. Put you on the spot. We'll start with yourself, James. Three centre-half partnerships that Liverpool have had. <laughs> um, right. Uh, obviously, Van Dijk and Gomez. Yeah. Gomez and Matip. Gomez and Matip, yeah. And uh, and Van Dijk and Matip. Yeah, he got it He got it nice and easy at the start, didn't he? Uh, let's go on to Kiva. Um, Henderson, Fabinho. <laughs> Your mind was drawn to that straight away. God, um, we must have had Henderson Kabak and then. Come on, you got fourteen left. Henderson Kabak, yeah. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many. Um, we had Fabinho, Nat Phillips. Fabinho, Fabinho, Reece Williams. Have a look. Yeah, Fabinho, Nat Phillips on there. Simon, Nat Phillips, Matip. So you're going Phillips, Matip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reece Williams. Um, we we said Reece Williams and Matip, yeah. Reese Williams and Matip. Have we got that on our list? Reese Williams and Matip. Did that actually happen? I don't think that happened, did it? <laughs> did that not happen? It seems incredible if it hasn't happened. This... No, that that is actually one that oh, hasn't well, happened. Um... <laughs> Williams and Matip. Oh, you're first yeah. out of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still more time. I, I think they definitely will get to 21 by the end of the season. They have to. Well, let me just complete them all. So, Van Dyke, Fabinho. Van Dyke, Reese Williams. Uh, Fabinho, Reese Williams, Gomez, Reese Williams, Gomez, Fabinho, <laughs> Gomez, Phillips, Fabinho, Matip, uh, Reese Williams, and Billy Cometio. Oh yeah, what was that? Was that second half in Mittenland? Yes, that'll be a quiz question in years to come. That one. Well, do you know what? I had to actually. I saw it on the list and thought, did that really happen? Uh, Matip, Henderson, Henderson, Phillips, and Quebec Phillips. Plus all the ones you've mentioned. Goodness. Who said um, it's going to get to 21? Was that you, James? That was me, Steve. 21, do you think? I, th- I, I think we could get to 21, yeah. Because you think about it, Ben Davis hasn't played yet, has he? And he's going to he, he's gonna surely at some point play with Kabak, possibly with Fabinho, and possibly with Phillips as well. Well, should be, it'll probably be Fabinho and Kabak will probably play next weekend, won't they? So that'll be 19. 19, yeah. And then we'll yeah. reach 20 the weekend after, and then it'll just be 21, 22, 23. That's how it'll go now. I, I am surprised that, that neither Wijnaldum or Milner have been considered for this very special role this season. Given there's still time, well, given that Milner's played nearly near enough, near enough everywhere else on the pitch. I remember I, I covered a Manchester City game in 2013-14, maybe, and he was playing up front that day. You'd think, if you just said to James Milley, can you play centre-half, he'd do it, wouldn't he? Mm. James, what about Jordan Henderson? What, what do we know so far on the groin injury? Uh, scan today, Steve. So, um, yeah, I think fair to say they're not expecting good news. Klopp on Saturday night said 
from the conversations he'd had with the medical staff, they they said he, he said I think his his phrase was it's not a small one. So I think you know you're probably looking at hopefully only three or four weeks, but it is possible it could it could be longer. So yeah, we probably know more on that in the next twenty four hours. But um, yeah, another massive setback because yeah, we 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 all know, don't we, that just what he gives the team in in terms of leadership and drive and he was certainly sorely missed after he went off on on the weekend and and he was helping Beddoes and Kabakin really wasn't he who's who's a player that's had to deal with some really difficult times at the age of just 20 when he came from Schalke they were bottom of the Bundesliga and then he comes to Liverpool thrown in at Leicester we know the story and then a, a tough derby debut he, he looks sort of decent on the ball, but he's he's way off the Premier League pace, isn't he, James? Yeah, do you know what? I, I felt really sorry for him actually on the weekend because, as Simon said, there was a lot of hype at the time when he came in as, you know, and you know everyone gets excited, don't they, about something shiny and new and, you know, yes, you know, they, he'd... You know, he he was this young player that had been on you know at Bayern and and Juventus's radar in the the, the previous couple of years, but you know, he's he's twenty years of age. The idea that he was just suddenly going to arrive from you know the worst team in the Bundesliga and and slot straight in instantly adjust to a completely different style and you know and and plug a, a gap straight away was just completely unrealistic. And I actually thought he played very well in midweek against. Leipzig, I thought um, he, he did well, and I, I don't know. It was just he just looked a bag of nerves on Saturday. I'm not quite sure why. You know, they, more than anyone else on the pitch, he actually genuinely looked baffled by the wind and in terms of just how many times he he misjudged the, the flight of the ball and you know giving away that corner after well it could only have been about ten or eleven seconds of the game under absolutely no pressure, heading heading it behind, kind of just set the tone for a real nervy error-strewn performance and um, you know obviously you know he, he allowed Richarlison to dart away from him for the opening goal that, that, that Liverpool on the back foot straight away yeah it's been a tough start hasn't he um, look on the d- defender front there's a great piece on the athletic which uh, Kiva's written about Virgil van Dijk she looked at um, his recovery and how long it'll take and spoke to some specialists you did look at why he went out to Dubai how's that aided his Return or how's it quickened it, and why is it to the benefit of the player, Kiva? I think most people are chatted to for the piece. We're just saying that you know to get away from even the weather here. You know, sunlight does help healing. Um, a lot of the the doctors I spoke to are sort of saying the me- the medical people. Um, so that's like an obvious factor. You know, warm weather I think just helps us all. I think if if Liverpool were losing and and the weather was warmer, we'd probably feel a little bit better about everything at the minute. Um, so it does help, doesn't it? A bit of sunshine, but also just because um, the the place he went to, the Nadal Sheba Sports Complex in Dubai, it's like renowned as like one of the best facilities in the world. They've literally got everything you could ever ask for there. Um, so he spent, I think, a couple of months out there working with a physio um, from Holland. I think who he's worked with in the past. You know, I think it was just more of a to get away from Liverpool and to sort of you know, almost speed up his process a little bit in terms of, you know, it was two months and then obviously now it's four months. So um, I just think obviously that would have been a probably a nicer way to sort of go about Christmas and stuff. I'm sure his family were with him as well. Um, and then he's come back obviously now and him and Gomez, there was pictures weren't there before the weekend um, of them training together. So that'll give them, you know, a little bit of something to work towards together. You know, they're in it together, which I think gives fans a lot of hope. But in terms of where he's at, um, speaking to most people, it'll 
it'll be nine to 18 months really in terms of, you know, obviously nine months is when you come back from, from an injury of that, that magnitude. Obviously you can come back at seven, eight months and we might well see that with Van Dyke, but you know, everyone who I spoke to was saying, leave it the longer you leave it, the better in terms of just, you know, the ligament itself healing. Um, and yeah, a lot of people were just saying not to, not to rush him back. Um, but obviously, you know, Holland will want him, won't they, for the Euros? Um, but I'm sure maybe Liverpool will have a little bit of a say there. And Van Dijk himself, you know, see how he's feeling around about then. But then a lot of people are saying, you know, he won't probably get into his stride, maybe. So we're looking maybe at the season after next before we see Van Dijk back to his best, which does kind of just say how costly that injury really was to Liverpool because, you know, it might be something that we're talking about well into next year. But... You know, Van Dijk is a special person, as he's a special player. If anyone you think can sort of maybe, you know, be the one player who's just sort of like comes back sooner and stronger and quicker, you know, after such a a bad injury, you'd think, you know, he could be that player. But, you know, it is so difficult, isn't it? But I just found it fascinating, to be honest. Like, you, you never really get the chance to speak to, like, medical experts very often and... You know, one surgeon I spoke to was saying that basically they take the ligaments. Like, I didn't really know how the whole operation works. And they take the ligament from your hamstring um, or your patella tendon. And then they just basically, you know, reforge it in the knee. Um, and then it takes like three months for the blood supply to grow back. But then the thing that was just incredible to me is that 2% of the actual anterior cruciate ligament is it's like nervous tissue so it's got a relationship with your brain which obviously you know how to move your knee then basically so you lose that when the ligament breaks or is torn so obviously you have to build that up and that's almost the the hidden process to all this like he'll be building up coordination that's why he was out in Dubai doing uh, dance exercises and whatnot. <laughs> really good piece. Um, if people haven't read it, they should have a look now. It's on the site. F- final word on that, side. Could it, could it lead to a war of words, club versus country, if all of a sudden he's in that Holland shirt in the, in the summer? Because you can't, you can't see him playing for Liverpool. And I can't imagine Jürgen will be very happy if he turns up playing in the Euros. Well, we all know how Jürgen Klopp feels about players' rests even in the best of times, you know, he, he, he certainly, I think a European Championship happening this summer is just what he feels that, that all footballers do not need. So yeah, it, 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 could, it could go that way. I wouldn't be surprised if he's asked about it. I'd be surprised if he, if he didn't have something to say about it. But that said, I mean, curiously, like he, you know, when you listen to him talk about players playing for the countries, he's, He's always been quite supportive of of it. I think you know. I think it it's just the timing of these games. I think he wants to see his players play for his country, um, for their countries. But with this, it's it's an extraordinary sort of situation, isn't it? Given that he's missed, he'll have missed so much of Liverpool season. Uh, I think a lot depends on whether he can, by some miracle, play again this season. Um, as Kiva said, I mean, you, you, Van Dyke. I think we apply sort of superpowers to him, don't we? Because of the influence that he's had on the team and the club since his arrival and think that there's almost this element of, of invincibility about him. But, I, I, you know, I, I know people who've had these these injuries, you know, lads that I've played footy with and I know it takes an awfully long time to get back to anywhere near. You want to be even with lots of support and, and advice around you and guidance. So, um, yeah, it could be, it could be an interesting debate. I think we'll know more 
uh, at the start of March because I think that's when a decision's being taken on what's not going to actually what the Euros is actually going to look like. I mean, it's a pen. I mean, it could, it could work the other way with Van Dijk, of course, because he, he does need to start playing football again at some point if he's fit. You know, going it goes against sort of perceived wisdom, I suppose. But he, he is going to need to start playing football again, isn't he? At some point, so. If he doesn't, when does he start again in pre-season for Liverpool? It's a difficult argument. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with him because really, you know, well, it seems like at least every tournament, there's at least one player from some nation, high-profile player, who's sort of a race against time to get back and play. But he's as crucial to Holland as he is to, to Liverpool. So... Yeah, I think there'll be open dialogue between the Dutch FA and, and, and Liverpool about the way forward. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And that is where we finish today's Red Agenda. site. James, Kiva, brilliant as always. James describing it as our counselling session. That's what it feels like weekly. I just wonder whether we might have another one when Liverpool come up against Ryan Brewster next week, James. Oh, my goodness. The guy who they sold who can't score uh, and Liverpool play Sheffield United next Sunday. Well... We'll wait and see. The Red Agenda returns in a week's time. Thanks for listening to it. And uh, I'm sure there's better times ahead. The Athletic.